1: But I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Welcome Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Cur- Herbstreet is on the phone. 25, here the podcast. Sweet. Here. Yeah. The Sports yeah. podcast. It oh, is so Monday, some, name, April 25th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's having a great Monday morning. I hope everybody's ready for a loaded episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here's what you need to know about today's show Sunday night was the deadline to enter your name into the NBA draft. Now, you can always come back, but you had to put your name in by Sunday to be eligible for this year's NBA draft. Why do I bring it up? It is because we got huge news. Caleb Williams, starting point guard from North Carolina, announces that he is going to return. With his return, four returning starters off this year's team that made the Final Four, we're going to talk about Caleb Love. We're going to talk about his impact, and we're going to talk about North Carolina. Are they the new number one team in college basketball coming into next year with Caleb Love back, as well as three other starters? From there, I'm going to tell you if they're the new number one, and what we'll do is we'll do my updated way too early top 25. Now feel like now feels like a great time to reset it because of the fact that we've had a million transfers. The players who have declared for the draft have declared. Some of them are still testing the waters, but we are going to go through the top 25. There have been changes, including at the top. We will discuss my updated top 25. Finally, we will wrap a little bit of NFL draft talk. You know, we have. I'm not going to do a ton of NFL draft talk this this week, just because of the fact that there isn't a ton to talk about. We'll have plenty of reaction on Friday's show. But what we will do is wrap the show, final segment, Talking NFL Draft, and I will give you my five biggest storylines going into this week's NFL Draft. I cannot believe that we are just four days away. So fun show, loaded show, Caleb Love, Top 25 NFL Draft. We got ourselves a great Monday episode of the Eratorra Sports Podcast. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is, listen, I know I've said it a lot this month, And I'm going to keep saying it, but April has all of a sudden just become an absolutely insane month in terms of college basketball and the storylines that happen in April impacting the coming season. We obviously talk a lot about transfers. We talk a lot about, you know, all sorts of stuff. And on Sunday, we had what I would argue maybe the single most important date of the offseason or one of the two, probably three or four most important dates of the offseason came on Sunday. Sunday was the day that if you wanted to enter the NBA draft, even just to test the NBA draft waters, just to put your name in there and see what the response was, you had to have your name in by Sunday at midnight. It's why we've talked about all these stay or go decisions in the last week to ten days on the Aerator Sports Podcast. We talked about Armando Baycott's decision to return to North Carolina a few weeks ago. We talked about Oscar Shibwe's decision to return to Kentucky last week. We talked about Jaime Hacquez at UCLA returning to UCLA. We talked about some of the other guys too. Kofi Coburn deciding to go pro at Illinois. Johnny Juzang deciding to go pro at uh, UCLA. And of course, Shaden Sharp, we talked about on last episode, the kid that went to Kentucky, never really played, and is now testing the NBA draft waters. So Sunday was the deadline. It was a very important date. But I would argue that coming into Sunday, most of the big decisions had been made. Most of the big decisions had been made and we were really waiting on only one or two and there wasn't a single bigger decision that had been yet to be made coming into Sunday than that of Caleb Love, the breakout star of the NCAA tournament, uh, just balled out all all tournament long for North Carolina he was really the biggest guy in college basketball that had yet to make a decision, and he he is really the glue that was really going to make North Carolina just a real, real, real problem going into 2022-2023 coming off their national championship game appearance. Three starters were projected back, but if Caleb Love announced he was coming back, that puts North Carolina into a different stratosphere where some people would have them ranked number one in the country going into 2022-2023. Well... It took till about 5.15 Eastern time. But about 5.15 Eastern time on Sunday, again, remember the draft deadline was Sunday at midnight to even declare for the draft. Now, you can still pull out, but you could, to go through the process, you had to declare by Sunday at 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. Well, Caleb Love made his decision about 5.15 Eastern. And at 5.15 Eastern, drum roll, please, Caleb Love decided... Uh, Caleb Love decided that he is coming back to the University of North Carolina and I don't want to say it's the single biggest decision that has been made over the last two or three weeks because that was probably Oscar Shebae but again when you take the the talent of the player with the team that is surrounding him I think you can argue that Caleb Love's decision impacts college basketball as much as any other decision in college basketball this offseason and I'll also say this we now have a new conversation about who is the number one team in the country as North Carolina is now returning four starters. First of all, in terms of Caleb Love, like, like, look, this is one of these guys, I think he's actually gotten a little bit of a bad and unfair reputation in basketball circles, right? I get it. He came to North Carolina, McDonald's All-American, he's the latest guy to wear the baby blue Carolina Tar Heels gear, and we all think he's going to be a one and done last year. And to be blunt, he wasn't very good as a freshman. When I say last year, I mean the 2020-2021 season, so two years ago. He comes to Carolina, he doesn't have the season that anyone is expecting, uh, to the point, by the way, North Carolina, uh, Roy Williams, the previous coach of North Carolina, dropped an incredible line on him during his freshman year. Talking about Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, the two guards that were freshmen during Roy Williams last year. Roy Williams says, those guys are gonna be really good basketball players. They've just got to decide to do it before I die. That was how Roy Williams described Caleb Love. And so I I do think Caleb Love has gotten a little bit of an unfair reputation because everybody thought he was a one and done. Everybody saw him struggle during his freshman year. But I don't think people realize how good this guy was this past season. Freshman year, again, struggled very, very, very much. On the season, averaged 10.5 points, averaged 3.5 assists, and shot just 26% from three. Not a very good freshman, so he comes back this year. North Carolina isn't very good early, and so you're not really paying attention to Caleb Love. Well, what I can tell you is that across the board, Caleb Love was a significantly better player than he was a season ago. This year, he averaged 16 points per game, up from 10 and a half. Same assists, shot 36% from three-point land, and his turnovers were down from three to two and a half a game. So he was a significantly better player for a team that got better down the stretch. And this was the guy. Listen, Armando Bacot was awesome all year. But this was the guy that, to me, when he figured it out, when he started playing to his potential, that was when North Carolina went from, oh, they might not make the tournament, to, oh, that team can win the national championship. And that is who Caleb Love was over the final, probably five, six weeks of the season. He was one of the best players in college basketball. Like I said a minute ago, he was one of the breakout stars of the NCAA tournament, but I would argue that to be blunt, you know, it really started before the NCAA tournament. That big win at Duke, Caleb Love wasn't great, but he had 22 points, five rebounds, five assists to help the Tar Heels upset Duke at uh, Cameron on Coach K's final game, and then, like I said, one of the absolute breakout stars of the NCAA tournament, 23 points in the opener against Marquette statistically wasn't great against Baylor in that second round game that went to overtime that was one of the craziest games of the tournament. But what I can tell you is if you watch that game, you know darn well that when Caleb Love fouled out, that was when Carolina completely fell apart. Uh, Brady Manick obviously had been ejected by that point, but they were okay until Caleb Love fouled out and then they couldn't do anything right. Then you get to the Sweet 16 against UCLA, 30 points against UCLA, including I would argue the two biggest shots of that game. UCLA with or, uh, North Carolina with under two minutes to go uh, is down by three. He hits a big three to tie it up at 64, and then he hits the big three to take the lead 67-64 in a game that you, uh, North Carolina ultimately won. Uh, North Carolina down three before he hits the first three. When he makes the second three, North Carolina never gives up the lead, and North Carolina advances to the Elite Eight where they beat St. Peter's. Finally, That second Duke game, when you knew what you were going to get from him, the third matchup with Duke overall, who was the best player on the floor that night? We all know who it was, and we all know that Caleb Love made the play that essentially sealed that game. After those Mark Williams missed foul shots, 26 seconds left, Carolina's up one, can Duke get the stop? Caleb Williams bangs the three from 30 feet away. And so I, I see all this stuff about Caleb. Well, is he, how good is he? And this guy was awesome in the NCAA tournament, and I believe that he is what is going to take North Carolina to the next level. I'll take it a step further. He's one of those guys, like if you just look at NBA mock draft boards, wasn't rated that high, if if high at all. I think a lot of that was based on who he was early in the season and in the middle of the season. I truly believe if he had gone through the draft process – he would have not only been drafted, I think he would have found his way into the back end of the first round. Instead, he decides to return to North Carolina. And with it, let me say this. I now have North Carolina as my number one team in college basketball coming into next year. That is right. Caleb Love's decision elevates North Carolina to my preseason number one team in college basketball. First of all, this is what you need to know in terms of who they're returning. They are now returning four of their top five scorers and it was really six of their top eight scores and four starters off that team that made the the national championship game. They're returning Armando Baycott, who I talked about last week, 16 points, 13 rebounds, uh, uh, ACC Player of the Year runner-up to Alondis Williams. This was a guy that, never forget, had four straight games, five straight games, excuse me, with 15-plus rebounds in the NCAA tournament. Armando Baycott I'm talking about now, 15 and 16 versus Baylor, 14 and 15 versus UCLA, 20 and 22 versus St. Peter's, 11 and 21 versus Duke, 15 and 15 versus Kansas, basically playing on one leg. So he's back down low. On top of that, RJ Davis announced on Saturday that he would be coming back. 13.5 points per game, 13 and a half points per game, three and a half assists per game, 37% shooting from three like Caleb Love, Leaky Black, Big key defensive player on the wing announces that he's going to use his extra year of eligibility. He got a couple of role players on the bench. But again, Caleb Love was the guy. Without him, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like Oscar at Kentucky. And I'm not comparing Oscar Sheeway, who had historically great numbers at Kentucky, to Caleb Love. But there's no Caleb Love alternative that you can get out of the portal if you're North Carolina that can drop 30 points on any given night just like there's nobody that can get you 20 and 20 if you're Kentucky, if Oscar Shibway decides to go pro. Instead, Caleb Loves comes back, and I believe that he is absolutely the missing piece to what I now believe is the number one team in college basketball. Now, of course, when I say that, there's a lot of controversy. And by the way, I'm gonna give you my updated top 25 here in a minute, but it's funny because I, you know what I got when I said, oh, they're, they're my new number one. Four starters back off a team that made the national championship game. You know what I heard? Oh, Torres, they really weren't that good. This is so typical. You guys overrating them. They were an eight seed, blah, 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 blah. Well, here's the bottom line. First of all, what I would say is this. Listen, nobody knows better than me how much better North Carolina got over the course of the season because I was the guy that was crushing them all season long. I was the guy that said multiple times, I don't know if they should have hired Hubert Davis. I was dead wrong about it, but that's what I was saying in December and January when they were getting blown out by everybody. But I got to call a spade a spade. I got to be completely fair. And what I would say about Carolina is this. Yes, they were only an eight seed. But if you look at the, forget the totality of their season. If you just look at the final third of their season, they were probably one of the 10 best teams in college basketball. I think I shared these stats when Armando Baycott came back. But here's the bottom line. They lose to Duke in the first Duke game early in the season, February 5th. In that game, they fell to 16-7 and seven overall, eight and four in the ACC. From that point forward, 16-7, and seven, eight and four, and we're thinking they might not even make the NCAA tournament at that point. From that point forward, from February 5th until April 5th, when the national championship game was played the night before, here is what North Carolina did. Again, they were 16-7 after that Duke game. They finished 29-10 overall, which I'm not great at math, but that tells me they went 13, and three down the stretch in the final two months of the season. Here is who they beat in the final two months of the season. They beat Duke at Cameron to end Coach K's regular season career. That was the one. Remember him yelling and screaming, "Quiet, quiet, quiet, quiet!" I got something to say. You have that win. You have Duke. You have Baylor, the reigning national champion in the NCAA tournament. You have UCLA, who we're going to get into in a minute in the in the Sweet 16. A really good UCLA team in the Sweet 16, and then you beat Duke in the final four. So don't tell me that, oh, well, you know, how could you have them number one? They were an eight seed. Yeah, they were an eight seed based on the totality of their season when they were getting their brains beat in by Purdue and Tennessee in November and Kentucky in December and Wake Forest in January. But by the end of the year, they were probably one of the eight to 10 best teams in college basketball over the final two months of the season. The other thing I heard this is typical of you guys. You got them overrated. This reminds me of UCLA last year. You said UCLA made a run, and they're your number one team in the country. And, like, I get that. I do. North Carolina is far from perfect. Keep that in mind. They still have to replace Brady Menick, who's really good. But I love this notion that comparing them to what I said about UCLA last year is an insult. Because if you remember last year, UCLA, kind of the same deal. They were an 11 seed. They started in a play-in game. They go all the way to the Final Four, and when they return their whole team the following year, I say they're the number one team in the country. Well, you had UCLA number one. You did the same thing last year. Well, here, well, first of all, they were playing much better than UCLA down the stretch. UCLA lost in the opening round of the Pac-12 tournament. They were not great late. They got hot in the NCAA tournament. But here's the funny part about that. You're telling me that it's an insult to compare him to UCLA. That's what you're saying, right? You're saying, last year you said UCLA was number one, look what happened. And now you're doing the same with Carolina. UCLA was awesome this year. Like, like people were saying, like comparing him to UCLA is a bad thing. UCLA was awesome this year. For people to follow, UCLA was basically a top 10 team all season. They dealt with injuries all year. Cody Riley, their starting center, was out early. Johnny Juzang missed time. Tiger Campbell, their point guard, missed time still basically stayed in the top 10 all year. They had a month-long COVID pause. They beat uh, Villanova. They beat Arizona. They beat USC two out of three times. And they made it to the Sweet 16 where they played North Carolina, ironically enough. And if Caleb Love missed one of those two threes, if they get one defensive stop, they're playing St. Peter's to go to -to back-to-back Final Fours. So I love the notion that people are saying, oh, you overrated UCLA last year, now you're overrating UNC this year. Was UCLA overrated? They weren't number one but who was number 1 all year? We said all year there was no definitive best team even if Gonzaga was there. We said all year there was no definitive best team. But UCLA was in the top 10 all year despite injuries, despite COVID, and they 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 beat Villanova, they beat Arizona. They go to the Sweet 16 where they're playing North Carolina, one defensive stop from potentially going to the Elite 8 where they would have played St. Peter's to go back to final back-to-back back final fours. So don't tell me that it's an insult to compare him to UCLA. But with that said, I'm not going to keep going because I do have North Carolina at number one. We're going to get to my updated top 25. And all I'll say is this. Caleb Love's return is great for college basketball. And it does reiterate one final point that I've said a lot over the last couple weeks and so I don't want to reiterate it. This is a case of NIL being good for college basketball. You know, I don't have all the details on, <laughs> on all of, uh, you know, the money that these guys are going to be making. Uh, if you saw this weekend, by the way, there was kind of a crazy story at Miami where one of their transfers, $400,000 uh, to play at Miami. His name's Nigel Pack. It, it, I'm not making it up. Somebody tweeted it out. Um, but I bring it up because this is another example of where NIL is helping college basketball. I believe it's the reason why Oscar Chibwe's back. I believe it's the reason that Armando Baycott seemingly never seriously considered going pro. And Caleb Love is the perfect example that I, I believe he could have potentially been a first round pick, but definitely would have been a second round pick. But you look at the impact that NIL had in this decision, you can't say it's nothing, right? And this is the positive impact of NIL. Remember, Caleb Love is one of those guys that, you know, first of all, uh, you know, first of all, this was a guy that, first of all, he had success with NIL even coming, even this past season. He had some big deal with, I forget if it was Buffalo Wild Wings or Hooters or something like that, but Caleb Love had, uh, you know, this big NIL deal uh, that even last season allowed him to make real money into, in college basketball, well, now coming back as the starting point guard at North Carolina, third-year starter for one of the biggest brands in college football in college basketball in a state that loves their Tar Heels, I can't even imagine how much he's gonna make it. I don't know what it is, but at the end of the day, it's gonna be a lot of money, and it's potentially gonna be even more money then he would have made going pro and deciding to uh, be drafted in the second round or going undrafted or whatever. So we talked about NIL with Oscar Sheba. We talked about NIL with Armando Baycott. I don't want to belabor the point, but at the end of the day, Caleb Love is coming back. North Carolina is my new number one in college basketball, and I am so fired up to have Caleb Love back in college basketball. So what I want to do? I want to take a quick break, and what I think I'll do after the break I am going to reset my quote-unquote way-too-early top 25, okay? So I did my way-too-early top 25 the day after the NCAA tournament, and now we have a month, month's worth of data uh, in terms of teams that have come and gone, what's happened with their rosters, who's announced they're coming back, who may come back, who's testing the draft waters, and then, of course, all the transfers that have committed so far. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I am going to reset my way-too-early top 25 for 2022-2023. We'll get to some NBA, NFL draft stuff at the end of the show. I'll be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back, Good to be back. Do want to, you know, we're not really switching gears here, but, you know, with the Caleb Love news, as I just said a minute ago, North Carolina, I, I do have my, as my new number one team in the country, But I do think it is a good metaphor and it is a good reminder that now feels like a good time to kind of get you updated on everything that has really happened over the last three weeks and update my way too early top 25 from the end of the season. We all know how way too early top 25s work. The day after the season ends, really the night of the national championship game, in this case, Kansas, North Carolina, it was only three weeks ago. It feels like it was like six months ago. It was only three weeks ago that Kansas plays North Carolina for the National Championship, and that night I put out my way-too-early top 25 for 2022-2023. Well, since then, we've had players declare for the draft, decide whether they're going to stay, whether they're going to go, whether they're going to test the waters. Again, many players are testing the waters and could ultimately come back, but we also have a bunch of transfers. We have some new high school commitments, and so with that, I thought today would be a great day to update the way too early top 25 for 2022, 2023, get you updated on some of the big name schools that have made major additions, big name schools that have added transfers, big name schools that have maybe lost an unexpected player or two to the NBA draft, and just recalibrate where we are in college basketball. And then when the official draft deadline ends in May, and we know for sure who's definitively coming back and who is definitively going pro, we will then at that point redo this for a third time and get you the updated way too early top 25 once the NBA draft decisions are official. But again, Sunday night was the day that you had to declare by to go through the process. Some guys are definitively leaving. A lot of guys are testing the waters. Feels like a good day to recalibrate. First, before we get into the updated top 25, let me give you the top 10 the night that the national championship game ended. I had Arkansas 1, Kansas 2, UCLA 3, Gonzaga 4, Arizona 5, Houston 6, Duke 7, Creighton 8, Tennessee 9, and Kentucky 10. One team that was notably missing from that top 10, let's get into the new top 25 and a new number one as, as I told you a minute ago. The North Carolina Tar Heels are officially my new number one coming into this season. Now you're probably sitting there thinking, well wait a second now Torres, wait a second now, you didn't even have North Carolina in your top 10 to end the season? What's wrong with you? You're crazy. How did they go from Out of the top 10 to number one? Well, the answer is pretty straightforward. I didn't think Caleb Love and Armando Baycott were coming back. I know I've spent the last three weeks talking about NIL and the impact that it's having and guys deciding to come back and play another year of college basketball. But coming off that NCAA tournament, Armando Baycott almost left last year. Caleb Love felt like he was a one and done. And so I thought for sure after both of them had great NCAA tournaments that they were both going to leave college basketball. Well, now those two come back, and in addition, as I said last segment, R.J. Davis, the third leading scorer, Leaky Black, a fourth starter, are all returning to Carolina, in addition to Puff Johnson, in addition to Kerwin Walton, a couple really good role players on this year's team. Now, they're not perfect, it's not an indisputable number one, and it doesn't mean that other teams can't surpass them by the end of the summer. They do need a stretch four to replace Brady Manic. If you remember Brady Manic, the big white kid, long hair, big beard, he was awesome in the NCAA tournament. And that is a big hole to fill. But I still feel like when you have four starters that are coming back, four starters that are, are essentially a core that has been together for three years, this feels like the team that should be number one to me. I just explained why, yes, they were an eight seed, but at the same time, they were 13 and three down the stretch, were playing really well. North Carolina is my new number one in my way to early top 25. At number two, drum roll, please. It's the Arkansas Razorbacks. They fall all the way from number one to number two. And in typical Coach Moss fashion, you know, this is a team that looks different even than when I put them at number one to end the, you know, when the season was over the night of the national championship game. We knew J.D. Note was gone at that time. Since then, Jalen Williams has declared for the draft. I still have him returning, but I do think it's becoming increasingly uncertain if he's going to come back. On the one hand, he put out a video last week. It kind of made it feel like, okay, maybe he's coming back. On the other hand, you just look at the simple scholarship numbers, and right now they're over the scholarship limit. He is going to get real NBA interest. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Jalen Williams in these coming weeks. With that said, I still love this Arkansas team, and I love what they've done even since the last time I recorded. One, Travon Brazil, a transfer from Missouri, had already committed. They have since added three transfers. The Mitchell twins, Mackay and Mikhail Mitchell, who played at Rhode Island, and Jalen Graham and All-Pac-12 forward from Arizona State. And those are important pieces for this reason. A couple things, really. One, I mentioned this when the Mitchell twins committed, but Eric Musselman, I've been around his programs and I know his programs long enough to know that when something beats Coach Muss, you know, at any point, but especially in the NCAA tournament to end the season, he is going to evaluate what went wrong and how do we fix that next year? Well, if you remember that Duke game against Duke, Mark Williams, the big seven footer, Arkansas had no answer for him because basically nobody in college basketball had an answer for him all year. So I love that they added the Mitchell Twins down low. They're adding rim protection, shot blocking, rebounding. And then Jalen Graham, he's not a great three-point shooter, but he's good about 15 feet in. And as I said, he, is an all, he was an all-pack 12 forward at Arizona State. Travon Brazil, the kid from Missouri that I mentioned, I know for a fact that a lot of people wanted that kid, a lot of people really liked that kid, and now it turns out that Arkansas has gotten him, and Arkansas is going to, I think he's going to be a key piece, especially if Jalen Williams does decide to stay in the NBA draft. We'll wait on Jalen Williams, three new transfers since I recorded, and oh, by the way, the number two recruiting class in the country, which I've talked about at length on this show. I've talked about Anthony Black, the big point guard. I've talked about Nick Smith, who might be the first player taken American-born next year. There's a big international kid that everybody likes. But Nick Smith Jr. could be the number two, number three pick in the draft. He's headed to Arkansas. Jordan Walsh, another guy that's just a super explosive athlete. I have Arkansas at number two. At number three, I have Kansas. And Kansas is an interesting one because, as expected, Ochai Abaji star player, declared, as did their big man, David McCormick, who essentially won them the tournament late, two big buckets late to seal the victory over North Carolina in the championship game. They also had their their, 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 their next best player, Christian Brown. He has declared for the draft without an agent. Right now, I do have Christian Brown coming back. And if he comes back, that means three starters are returning in addition to three McDonald's All-Americans that will be enrolling this coming fall. At the end of the day, you give me three starters with three McDonald's All-Americans, and you know Bill Self is gonna grab a player or two out of the portal? I like that team in the top five going into next year. Yes, they lost pieces, but this is Bill Self. And listen, we can criticize Bill Self all we want for the FBI stuff. NCA sanctions may be coming. I think with Jay Wright out, he's the best coach in college basketball. This was a guy this year without a consensus five-star recruit that just won the Big 12 regular season, won the Big 12 tournament, and won a national championship. If Bill Self gets all of these guys back, they are number three. They are right in the mix for another national championship next year. Although, of course, the big question will be, uh, will they be eligible as NCAA sanctions could be looming? Number four, another controversial one that you guys aren't gonna like. I do have Gonzaga at number four, and it's for this reason. If they get Drew Timmy back, then they are going to win a lot of games, they're going to beat a lot of really good teams, and they're going to be in position to once again get a number one seed. I know you guys don't like it. I understand that at a certain point they got to win a national championship to justify all of these number one seeds that they're getting, but at the end of the day, here's what's going on at Gonzaga. They are going to lose their starting point guard, Andrew Nemhard. They are going to lose uh, Chet Holmgren, obviously, who could be the number one pick in the draft, but Drew Timmy is an automatic 20-10 if he comes back to college basketball their young guards are improved. Hunter Salas was a former McDonald's All-American. Nolan Hickman, a former top 30 recruit that was committed to Kentucky before he goes to Gonzaga. They're both back. Julian Strother, a wing who has declared and tested for the NBA draft, but could return. That guy also is a difference maker. I think he could be kind of that next great developmental player at Gonzaga. Also worth noting a couple other things on Gonzaga. One, really talented guard, Dominic Harris. They lost him this this season to a season ending injury before the season started i think he has a chance to be really good they're going to get somebody out of the portal and the other thing worth considering with gonzaga they're one of the few teams that as i record right now they did not lose a single player to the transfer portal i think this team is coming back this team is coming back intact they're experienced they've played a lot together now again i get it they got to win the national championship to justify a ranking like this or to justify us hyping them in the preseason. But this is a team that in normal seasons, they're gonna win 30 games, they're gonna get to the Sweet 16, and then from there, it becomes, can they win the national championship? I have Gonzaga at number four. Number five, I have UCLA. And I talked about UCLA a lot on the last episode because in the previous weeks, they lost, or the previous days, they lost Johnny Juzang, obviously their star of their Final Four run last year. But they also got back Jaime Jaquez, their second leading scorer and rebounder uh, from a season ago. They're also adding a bunch of five-star recruits, Amari Bailey, and they're adding Adem Bona, the big guy down low as well. And so to me, when I look at this team, and I said it last episode, and it was a little controversial, I don't want to say they're going to be better without Johnny Juzang, but I do think they're not going to miss as much of a beat as people would expect losing a star player like that. I talked to somebody who knows this roster well, who knows a lot of these players. He agreed with me. I talked to him late last week. What he told me was, look, the bottom line is it's exactly what I just said. When you look at this group, when you look at this roster, what I see is this. I see a team that Johnny Duzang, as great as he was, he was a ball stopper. He catches the ball. um, You know, he's going to do his two dribbles, and he's going to pump fake. He's going to pass. He's going to shoot. He's going to do whatever. Without him, I believe that the spacing and the ball movement will be much better, and I think you're adding an instant impact freshman in Amari Bailey. And I talked about him late last week. Obviously, he's well-known, unfortunately, because of his mom. But this dude's a hooper. And in talking to the guy that I spoke with late last week who knows this program well, he said Amari Bailey, because he's so hyped, we think of him as this, is that he's a great kid. And the thing about Amari Bailey, and you can see this just watching film, the kid loves to pass. The kid loves to get other people involved. And so when you're starting to talk about a guy that could have an instant impact on college basketball right away, Tiger Campbell, the starting point guard's back. Amari Bailey is a playmaker off the ball. You're more athletic down low with a Dembona. Miles Johnson could come back. I really do like UCLA. Now they still have a couple pieces that are either testing the waters or are unsure what they're gonna do, all that good stuff. But I'm just telling you, I really like this roster. I don't think there's anyone necessarily at this point that could come back that would elevate them further. This is probably the ceiling. They may be a little bit lower, but I think this is a team, remember, again, as I said a minute ago, they were a stop or two away from going to an Elite Eight where they would have played St. Peter's to go to a second straight Final Four. Mick Cronin, it's incredible what he's done with this program in a short amount of time. UCLA number five. Number six, I have them higher than anybody else right now, but I do have Arizona at number six. And the bottom line is nothing has really happened that is unexpected so far. Ben Matherin, their star, has declared for the draft. Christian Coloco, uh, really a- a athletic, tall, lanky, big guy who really filled out, had a great year. He declared. But right now, four of their top – really, three, three of their top – let me take this back, okay. Three of their starters and four of their top six could return. Now, I said it the day after the season, and it stands true today. They have a guard named Dalen Terry who was awesome the back half of the season he has declared for the draft and is testing and could return or he could ultimately end up declaring for the draft he is a kid big kid about a big guard I should say about six foot seven he quote-unquote only averaged eight and five this season but the final couple games of the season he was the only one that showed up to play Houston 17.6 rebounds three assists in the NCAA tournament opener 16.7 rebounds four assists uh, Pac-12 championship game with no Kirk a 15 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, Emerge late, has NBA size, length, and measurables. When he tests the waters, I think he's gonna impress a lot of NBA teams. It's just a matter of whether he wants to come back or not. If he comes back, Arizona is back in the top 10 and a team good enough to again compete for a national championship. If he does decide to stay in the draft, then we're probably looking at Arizona realistically as a top 20-ish team, but they are not a top 10 team going forward. Number seven, the Houston Cougars. Very interesting team. I'll say this with Houston. They're interesting for this reason. One, I love Kelvin Sampson. You guys know how I feel about Kelvin Sampson, and what I would say about Houston is th- they're going to be in the top ten. Where I am kind of getting tripped up right now, it's a weird deal. As I told you all season long, they lost their top two players to season-ending injuries, Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark. Well, here's the thing. Those two guys are back, as is their starting point guard, Jamal Shedd, where Houston is actually kind of thin right now is in the front court. They have a, a freshman McDonald's All-American named Jarris Walker coming in, but they actually probably need to add a body or two up front. Now, I believe Kelvin Sampson will do it. They are the leader in the clubhouse, reportedly for Kenneth Lofton Jr., no relation to the baseball player, who was a double-double machine at Louisiana Tech this year. But weirdly, Houston may not be big enough down low. They're a size, they're, they're a physical toughness team in the paint, they need to add another body or two. So I have Houston at number seven. I've seen them as high as number two, number three, and some other people's polls. And I believe as long as they get another body or two, I could see them in the top five to start the season. Houston, number seven. Number eight is Kentucky. And what I'll say about Kentucky is this. I had them at number 10 coming out of the season, and that was with Oscar Shibwe returning. So you're probably sitting there saying, Torres, if you had all the pieces kind of happened as you thought they would, why are you projecting them to be in the top 10? If you are top number eight, if you had them at number 10 to end the preseason to end the season, I think at the end of the day, I was probably just too difficult on Kentucky because of that St. Peter's loss. But now you're returning severe Wheeler, who is a really good point guard. You're returning Oscar Shibway, the national player of the year. That is a really, really good place to start. Now, the pieces around them still are kind of getting sorted out. Uh, CJ Frederick, a sharp shooting point guard. You know, he was uh, unhel- He was unable to play this year, season-ending injury. So I do think that Kentucky probably does need to add one more, um, you know, one more kind of wing player. They've been in the mix for this kid, Antonio Reeves, who played at Illinois State. But they do have coming back C.J. Frederick healthy. They do, do-, they do have two McDonald's All-Americans, Chris Livingston and Cason Wallace coming in. And I really do like this core. And it's like I said with Oscar Shibwe last week when he came back. Once he officially announced he's coming back, Kentucky has all the pieces to that you listen. With Oscar Shibwe this is what I want. This is what I should say. I don't want to say they have all the pieces because some of the pieces you don't love. But with Oscar Shibwe back, that puts you in the mix. And right now, all you can ask to be in the mix. The other thing with Kentucky as well. This Shaden Sharp deal is wild. I still think he ultimately gets declared eligible for the NBA draft, but there's increasing buzz that the NBA is getting pushed back from the players' union and from the agents. You know, you know, basically, the agent. it's a long story, but there's increasing buzz that Shaden Sharp might not be eligible for this draft. I'll believe it when I see it, but I do have Kentucky at number eight. Again, you have Oscar Sheebway. It keeps you in the mix against anybody. I do still think there may be a piece or two away, especially on the wing. Number nine, Maybe the most interesting team in the country next year. How about them Duke Blue Devils? So not sure if you heard Coach K, no longer part of the Duke family. I mean, he's part of the family, but he ain't there no more. The brotherhood, the father of the brotherhood is out the door. John Shire is in. And what's interesting is they really only returned one marquee player from that Final Four run. That was their point guard, Jeremy Roach, who played really well down the stretch. The rest of the team is entirely freshmen, but the question becomes they have by, I don't want to say by far, but they have the best freshman class in the country with four of the top 13 players committed. Kyle Filipowski, a big stretch four. Derek Lively, a true seven foot one, seven foot two center that blocks everything in sight. Uh, Derek Whitehead, an, a solid wing. And Mark Mitchell, a solid wing. And so with Duke, it comes down to a team almost entirely full of freshmen, coached by a first year head coach. What do you do with them? They are going to have the number one recruiting class. They're gonna have the most first round draft picks next year, I can say with almost certainty at this point. But they also have a first year head coach and they're all freshmen. So I put them at number nine. Duke is at number nine. Number 10 is Creighton. Creighton's a really interesting team. They bring back basically everybody off of a team that went to uh, that won, went to the Big East Championship game where they lost to Villanova. And then on top of that, beat San Diego State in round one. You know, they played Kansas tougher than a lot of teams did in that NCAA tournament. Easily could have beaten Kansas and they were down two starters in that game. They're starting point guard Ryan Nemhard. They're starting center Ryan Kalkbrenner. Well both those guys are coming back. Both those guys will be healthy for for the start of the season or at least the midway point of the season. They also have a kid Arthur Kaluma who, you know, I think if he had declared for the draft, was a kid that maybe could have been in the mix to be a potential first-round pick, he's gonna come back. That guy could be a breakout star in college basketball next year. They also have Sharif Mitchell, another guard coming back from injury. They had Trey Alexander, who played really well as a freshman last year. I really like this Creighton team. They come in at number 10. So that is my updated top 10. I just said it, but I'll repeat it for you. Number one, new number one is North Carolina. Number two is Arkansas, number three is Kansas, number four is Gonzaga, number five is UCLA, six is Arizona, seven is Houston, eight is Kentucky, nine is Duke, ten is Creighton. Let's quickly rip through the rest of the top 25 updated. I won't go through every team. I'll try to give you teams that have changed or evolved since the last updated top 25. Eleven. Tennessee, not really much to report. They lose Brandon Huntley Hatfield, a, a seven-footer who, who played sparingly for them. They add a guard named Tyree Key, but they bring back Sakai Ziegler. They bring back Josiah James, and Santiago Viscovi is testing the waters, but I expect him back. Baylor has added a couple transfers. They are at number 12. Number 13, I'll tell you, Michigan is a, a big riser in my way-too-early top 25 because they got back Hunter Dickinson. And so I didn't talk about him in the Caleb Love segment of this show, but Hunter Dickinson is an all-American caliber player, and he is another guy that the NIL stuff really did matter here. I had Hunter Dickinson on this show in the preseason, my preseason national player of the year, and he basically said, I came back for one more year at Michigan. We're going to see what happens. Then NIL kicks in. I don't know what he's making, but he's had a huge brand with big boosters. Uh, Obviously, Jordan Brand represents, uh, you know, uh, 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 Michigan, so you know probably if Michigan needs money, they can get him from there. But that guy averaged 19 and nine, and I really just do like the pieces around him. The point guard, Frankie Collins, really emerged late. I have Michigan at number 13. They are a big riser. In my original way too early top 25, I had them at number 23 without Hunter Dickinson. They are up to number 13 now in my updated top 25. I actually had them at number 22, but who's counting? Number 14, another big riser, the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I know Alabama wasn't very good down the stretch last year, but a couple things happened with them why I like them. One, when I did my original top 25, I did not think Javon Quinterly, their starting point guard this year, was going to come back. He got hurt in the NCAA tournament. He put out a statement that said, I can't believe this, is," or a tweet that said, I can't believe this is how my college career ends. Well, a couple weeks pass. He's not going to be able to play next year, or he's not going to be able to go through the NBA draft process, so he decides to come back. Alabama also adds a really impact um, uh, wing player guard in the portal, Mark Sears, They have the number three recruiting class coming in, including two McDonald's All-Americans, Brandon Miller and Jaden Bradley. And the X factor could be this. Last offseason, they got a transfer named Namari Burnett, former McDonald's All-American. And you talk to people around that program, they'll tell you, he was the guy that we needed this year. We needed one more score on the wing. We didn't have it. He was out with an ACL injury. I have Alabama along with North Carolina and Michigan. Those are my big risers in my way too early top 25. Alabama at number 14. UConn number 15. And I'll try to be quick here because I talked about UConn, but UConn, two marquee transfers are added. Uh, Naheem Alim, who is from Virginia Tech, 38% three-point shooter, and Tristan Newton I talked about a few weeks ago. 18-5 five and 5 at East Carolina. UConn has now really, uh, you know, you you add those two with Andre Jackson, a wing who has NBA size and athleticism, Jordan Hawkins, who is a potential NBA player, I believe, can shoot the, you know, what out of the ball, just needs more time and experience, and Adamasinogo, all Big East center down low. That is a dominant starting five. Now, you'd love to get another piece or two out of the transfer portal. I will say. They have two young players that I really like. Alex Caraban, a redshirt freshman. I'm excited to see him. Donovan Klinglin, a uh, player from the state of Connecticut, seven-footer, really excited to see those two. I like UConn more than most, Um, and it's not a homer thing. I just think they're gonna be smaller, they're gonna be more athletic, but they're gonna still have that post presence with Adama Sinogo. I have UConn at 15. Number 16, another fascinating one. What do you do with Villanova? On the one hand, Brandon Slater, one of their star players from their Final Four run, was banged up middle of the year, played well late. He is back. You also have Eric Dixon back, Jordan Longino, who played well late. He's coming back. Cam Whitmore, McDonald's All-American. He's enrolling. You also lost the best coach in college basketball in Jay Wright. And you also lost Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels, two guys that have been around forever. So I put this team at number 16. I'm going to reevaluate as time goes on, but I do like this Villanova team but I just don't know what to do with them. How high can you put a team that just lost maybe the best coach in college basketball? A lot of respect for Kyle Neptune, but I just don't know what to do with them. I'll try to rip through the rest really quickly. Auburn at number 17. No real big hot takes on Auburn. Um, I think the guards were probably a little bit, you know, we were too tough on the guards. They all come back, added a five-star center, five-star big guy down low, Johan Traore, who was committed to LSU. He ends up at Auburn. Number 18. Sean Miller and the Xavier Musketeers go to the go to the they win the NIT, bring back basically everybody. They're obviously going to be better coached than they were under Travis Steele. I really like Xavier, at number eighteen, number nineteen. Michigan State's a little bit of a faller. They really don't have any big guys right now. Although I do think their guards are probably better than people realize. Number twenty, Texas A and M should have been in the NCAA tournament, make a run to the NIT championship game. That is a team that I think is going to be vastly improved. There are only two new teams since I did my initial top twenty-five. 21 is Virginia, and I know it's Virginia, and I know they're super boring, and I know we don't like to talk about them, and I know there's just not much to say about Virginia, but at the same time, when it comes to Virginia, they return all five starters, they picked up a big-time transfer named Ben Vanderplass, uh, really talented, big guy, kind of a a perfect guy for them, he passes the ball, he can handle, he can do all that, Virginia at 21, Colorado State at 22, return their top four scorers from what was a six seed last year. One of the guys, David Roddy, the Mountain West player of the year, is declaring. We'll see what happens with him. Number 23, the only other new team since my original top 25. How about my boy Mike Effen Woodson? Mike Effen Woodson, Indiana, in at number 23. Trace Jackson Davis, their star uh, big guy, has declared if he comes back, Indiana is going to be in the top 20 and maybe the favorite in the big 10 number 24 Marquette Justin Lewis I believe is back uh I saw an announcement but it was weird it doesn't seem as though it's it's official but if he comes back there in the top 25 and number 25 is Texas Tech I just believe in Mark Adams big segment fun segment uh let's come back and when we come back we're going to do a little bit of football Fun segment that we just did, but we're gonna do a little bit of football. NFL Draft is just a few days away. I'd be remiss if I didn't hit on a couple topics that intrigue me coming in. I'm gonna give you my big five storylines coming into the NFL Draft. That is next. All right, everybody, I'm back. Good to be back, good to be back. Final segment of the show. Good to be back. Do wanna switch gears And I do want to talk a little bit of the NFL draft, and it's interesting because the NFL draft isn't necessarily a huge, huge, huge topic that we do on this show, but we talk so much college football. We talk college football year-round, but a ton from August to really late January, early February, and so because of it, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk the draft at all, but it does feel like there has been less buzz around the draft. It feels like there's been a lot of college basketball content to get into, and so we just haven't done a ton on the draft. But with the draft now four days away, I do think it's time to dive into it, and I do think I'm going to dive in with the five biggest kind of questions or thoughts that I have coming into this NFL draft. Now, what I would also say before I get into it, it's going to be an awesome show. Uh, I was in Vegas last week with family. I walked by the Bellagio, where the draft is going to be held. They have a stage in the middle of the Bellagio fountains. You can find that picture on my Twitter feed, at Aaron underscore Torres. Woo! Say this for the NFL, you could like Roger Goodell, you could hate Roger Goodell. They know how to put on a show. And this draft, I think, will be that even if the storylines aren't necessarily there. So let's get into the five biggest storylines as the NFL draft is approaching. And I will say, as we get closer, I am starting to get more excited. Let's talk a little bit about the draft. First storyline, first question is this. I think it's pretty straightforward. When does the first quarterback come off the board and does someone reach for that quarterback? And when you talk about why the draft isn't as intriguing or interesting this season, it seems like, it's to me a pretty straightforward answer. It's because the quarterbacks at the top of the draft are not elite, and they're not going to go at the top of the draft, barring something shocking. Last year, there was so much intrigue in the draft because the quarterbacks at the top were so darn fascinating. You knew Trevor Lawrence was going to go one, but is Zach Wilson really going to go two? Where does Justin Fields fit in? The 49ers at three, are they really going to take Mac Jones? What about Trey Lance? Could they go Justin Fields? Justin Fields, how far is he going to fall? Mac Jones, if he doesn't go through? Think about all the things surrounding the quarterbacks. Well, this year, the quarterback crop, I'll be honest, if you're looking at this year's quarterbacks, I think any of these quarterbacks would be ranked number six in last year's draft. I think Kenny Pickett from Pitt, Malik Willis from Liberty, uh, Sam Howell from UNC, Matt Corral from Ole Miss. I do think that if you're lining them up compared to last year, I think Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones all go ahead of any quarterback in this draft. So the question to me is, who becomes the guy that somebody reaches on? Because I've been watching the NFL draft for darn near 30 years now, and the one thing that I know, it doesn't matter what year it is, it doesn't matter what era of football it is. Guys are going to overreach. Teams are going to overreach for quarterbacks because that is what always happens. Bill Polian, the, the famed executive, executive that built the Indianapolis Colts into a Super Bowl champion, said on this podcast, he goes, I started as a GM in the mid-1980s with the Buffalo Bills 35, 40 years ago, and he didn't, if you didn't have a quarterback then, you didn't have a team, and it's no different now. So, so everybody's gonna reach on somebody And to me, the guy that feels like the most obvious reach candidate is Kenny Pickett from Pitt. And what's interesting about Kenny Pickett is, you know, he is very polarizing in the community. I've called around and asked a few people about him. I could say this. I think in a best case scenario, he's kind of got that Kirk Cousins vibe to him. Just, you know, big but not really athletic. Doesn't have a huge arm. If you follow the combine stuff, you know his hand size is not to be measured up against some other uh, quarterbacks, and they say size matters, baby. It does with the hands at the quarterback position. Because of it, he's had fumble issues, and so I think in a best-case scenario, he's Kirk Cousins, which sounds terrible, and it kind of is for the best quarterback in the draft, but Kirk Cousins has also won a lot of games. I mean, Kirk Cousins is in the top five quarterback in the NFL, but he's not a bottom five quarterback in the NFL either, so that's what Kenny Pickett's ceiling is, and so because of it, I do wonder if somebody reaches for him. Because as I said, I've been watching this thing forever. Teams reach out quarterbacks all the time, even years where you say there's no quarterbacks. I was watching when somebody traded up to number two to draft Mitch Trubisky. I was there when somebody took Blake Bortles at number three. I was there when, uh, you know, uh, Christian Ponder went in the first round. Jake Locker went in the first round. Somebody is always reaching for quarterbacks, and I think Kenny Pickett is going to be that guy. Now, is it top 10? Is it top 15? I don't know because the question now is, is that I told you his ceiling is probably Kirk Cousins. So what is his floor? And his floor is he's maybe not be a starting quarterback at all. I know for a fact there is one GM in the NFL, I know this for a fact, that thinks he is a third-round type quarterback, which is ultimately a career backup, a guy that you just need in the, the building in case something happens to your starter. So I'll be fascinated, and I do think somebody does reach on somebody in the quarterback crop, and I do think it's probably Kenny Pickett, but what does reach mean? Is it top 10? Is it top 15? I don't know. I am intrigued by that. The second thing I'm intrigued by, number two, who is the quarterback that falls? Because I've also been watching this thing forever, and every single year, There's a quarterback that everybody loves and everybody gets a little buzz on and there's buzz leading into the draft and this guy could go here. And then they tumble like a rock. Even in a non-extreme example, think back to last year with Mac Jones. Everybody thought he was going number three to San Francisco. He ends up falling 15, 16 to New England. But I'm talking about the more extreme guys through the years. Remember, there was a year where people were talking about Geno Smith going number one overall. He went in the second round. To the New York Jets. Um, you know, Bryce Petty. Do you remember the name Bryce Petty? People were talking about, him, oh, he could sneak into the first round. He went in the third to the Jets. Ryan Nassib. You remember Ryan Nassib? Went in the fourth round to the Giants. People were saying a week before the draft oh, he could go in the first. No, he went in the fourth round. And so the question becomes, who is that guy this year? I think the obvious one to me is probably Malik Willis, quarterback from Liberty. Now, I don't think he's going to go in the fourth round, but I see him on in the first round in pretty much every mock draft. I could see him falling to the second and then somebody using the day between the first and second round. Remember, the first round is on Thursday. The second round's on Friday. Uh, second and third round is on Friday, and then Saturday is four through six. I could see somebody using that day on Friday to trade up to get Malik Willis in the second round, but I could see him falling out of the first round. Now, he, maybe he's the first quarterback off the board. But what I will say is he played at Liberty for friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, Hugh Freeze. And I thought Hugh Freeze said something interesting about him. He said Malik Willis doesn't know what he doesn't know. And what that means is this, is that Hugh Freeze doesn't really run a quote-unquote pro-style offense. He runs an offense that is built to win games in college. And so because of it, you know, Hugh Freeze kind of sees it as a positive. This guy's a blank slate. You can teach him anything. He's gonna learn. He's a willing learner, all that good stuff. On the flip side... You're taking a guy in the first round, that's a guy that you probably are going to have to play at some point this season, unless he goes late in the first round and is clearly going to a place where he's going to be a backup. So, I don't know where that would be exactly, but I don't think that you're taking him if you expect him to play this year. So, he's the guy that I feel like could fall the second round, fall further. Sam Powell is another one. Sam Howell, excuse me, I don't know why I said Powell. Sam Howell from North Carolina you know, people are saying fringe first round, early second round. I could see him falling like a rock. Not a lot of buzz there. Matt Corral is the one I'm interested in because I think Matt Corral is good, but he's got those injury histories. He's got that injury history with those ankle injuries. So I'm fascinated to see what happens there. Number three question is really probably what should have been the first question. And that's who's number one, baby? Who goes number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars? Uh, who have the first pick overall. Remember, Jacksonville, of course, drafted Trevor Lawrence this year. For people who forget, Doug Peterson, the former Super Bowl-winning coach with the Philadelphia Eagles, is now the head coach in Jacksonville because, not sure if you heard, things did not work out well with Urban Meyer. So when I look at this situation, you know, to me, it seems as though it's coming down to three players. The first is Trevon Walker, uh, defensive lineman from Georgia. Well, what's interesting about him is, if you look at his stats, this is like the fast-rising guy that everybody loves. But if you look at his stats, they really were not overwhelming this year at Georgia. Now, if you talk to people that, that f- do this draft stuff 365 days a year, he did finish with six sacks on the season, but he wasn't dominant. He didn't take over games. 19, you know, 37 total tackles, 19 solo tackles, six sacks, he didn't take over games, but if you talk to people who do this stuff 365 days a year, they'll say that's just the position that he played. He was not expected to make plays in the way that the traditional kind of defensive lineman is, like Aiding Hutchinson, which we'll talk about in a minute, from Michigan, like Kayvon Thibodeau from the Oregon Ducks. But he is a fast riser, but I do think that it's fair to ask. The production wasn't there. He played on a great defense with a lot of great talent around him, but you're taking this guy number one overall, six sacks, uh, 37 total tackles. There's cause for concern. Number two is a guy I just mentioned, Aiden Hutchinson. He's another one that I think is very interesting and in some ways very polarizing. On the one hand, he was absolutely awesome, led Michigan to a Big Ten championship in a college football playoff, finished the season with 14 sacks. How about that for a, a, a deal there? 14 sacks in his senior year. Bunch of tackles for loss. And he was great in the biggest game of his career, which was the Ohio State win. That's also kind of what concerns me, though. Played Georgia, bunch of NFL offensive linemen along that offensive line, and Aiden Hutchinson kind of disappeared. Now, you talk to football people again, they'll tell you that Georgia schemed away from him. But I do wonder with Aiden Hutchinson. This guy very clearly played the best game of his career against Ohio State. He played the best game of his career in the biggest game of his career, which is not an insult. It's not a, you know, I'm not criticizing the guy but he had three sacks against Ohio State, he had a bunch of TFLs, tackles for loss, and I do wonder with him, is he that good, or did he just play the best game of his life in the game that everybody was watching? Did he play the best game of his life in the game that everybody was watching, and that's what happens, right? He plays the best game of his life against Ohio State, they win the big game, uh, the fans rush the field, people are crying, they're forgiving hardball, there's snow on the ground. If he's just okay against Ohio State, even if they win, are we talking about this guy as the potential number one pick? So I don't know, and I would also say this too, and this is gonna sound bad, but it's not intended to be. You know, there's been a lot of guys that fit his profile that have come out of the Big Ten in recent years, and if I'm being honest, let's just call a spade a spade. Big defensive lineman. And let's be honest, and I'm not trying to be crass about this, but white guys, right? We had the Bosa brothers, Nick and Joey. We had the Watt brothers, TJ and JJ. And so I think the question becomes, are we profiling this guy to be one of those guys? Because Nick Bosa was Defensive Rookie of the Year. Joey Bosa's a beast. TJ Watt led the league in sacks last year. And I think it's unfair to put the burden on Aiden Hutchinson. I don't know if he's that guy. I do wonder if he's getting more hype because he played his best game of his career in his biggest game against Ohio State. The fourth question, oh, oh, I should say the third guy that could go number one. This is the guy that I would take if I was Jacksonville. That's Alabama offensive tackle Evan Neal. And why I would take him is pretty straightforward. You drafted Trevor Lawrence last year. It was a complete disaster. Trevor Lawrence didn't look comfortable. He got hit a million times. Trevor Lawrence is the key to this entire thing. One of the best quarterback prospects ever, and I'm not saying he's going to be one of the best NFL quarterbacks ever, but he's one of the best quarterback prospects ever. You have to put this guy in position to succeed, and so because of it, if I had a choice, I'm taking Evan Neal, the big offensive tackle from Alabama, listed at six foot seven, close to 350 pounds, but you talk to people who are around him, one, trimmed his body fat trimmed his weight over the course of Alabama Two, just everyone that's been around him says he's a total professional day one acted the part switched kind of spots on the offensive line as needed if I'm Jacksonville to me it's actually a no-brainer just take the offensive tackle because at the end of the day you can figure out all the other stuff but if you can't keep Trevor Lawrence upright it really doesn't matter And so to me, this is the no-brainer of all no-brainers. I know you need a pass rush. Guess what? Even if you take Evan Neal, you're probably going to be terrible next year. You'll be in a position to take a pass rush. Pass rusher next year. But if Trevor Lawrence isn't upright, you're going 1-16 or 2-15 again, and you're going to be right back in this spot. Take Evan Neal, the offensive tackle, number one overall. Fourth thought that I have going into this draft Which wide receivers are going to be stars and which ones are going to be busts? And if you follow this stuff, first of all, another great wide receiver class. I mean, this is now the new trend. Every year, there are a ton of superstar wide receivers coming into this league. Last year, Jalen Waddell sets all sorts of rookie records. Devontae Smith was awesome. Jamar Chase, we saw in the playoffs, absolutely awesome. And so when I look at this whole situation, to me, what it ultimately comes down to is which wide receivers go where which ones end up balling out? Because they all look great on film and they all look great during college football. Garrett Wilson from Ohio State was one of my favorite players to watch. Just an absolute baller. Ryan Day is an incredible play caller. This guy always seemed to be open and was a complete difference maker. Chris Olave at Ohio State's awesome. Traylon Burks at Arkansas is obviously awesome. Jahan Dotson at Penn State was awesome. David Bell was a guy that I loved, played at Purdue. Every single play, you knew the ball was going to him, and he still finished with you know 11 catches a game. It was unbelievable how good this guy was. I'm sure I'm missing other guys. Drake London, I just saw him at the USC spring game. I went to the USC spring game. I didn't even talk about it, but I went to the USC spring game on Saturday. Drake London was there. He looked good. He was moving well, and when I say moving well, he was walking on the field signing autographs, but you get the point. And so I only bring it up to say, who are those wide receivers who, Who ends up going the highest and who ends up, you know, having the best career? Because I think there's six or seven good ones in this draft. And I'm intrigued. Didn't even mention Jamison Williams, by the way, uh, the star player from Alabama. The final question, the final thing that I'm thinking about, about this draft. Has the draft itself become bigger than any of the individual players? And I think about it for this reason, okay? I talked, I led this segment by saying this is not a traditional draft. There are not the obvious guys at the top of the draft that are absolute difference-making, you know, especially at the quarterback position. It just feels like there's not a definitive number one player, this and that, the other thing. But I'm telling you, when you tune into that thing, that show in Vegas, you are gonna be blown away. And I think the NFL has done an unbelievable job of turning the draft into this huge show and this huge spectacle, regardless of, of where it is, who's in the draft, whatever. And so my big thing is, I'm sitting here saying there's nothing to talk about, and then I know Friday night we are going to be talking about how crazy the show was, how awesome the draft was, the two, three, four storylines that emerge, whatever they are, and it's going to be great. So as I said, I'll probably talk a little bit more draft on Friday's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports or on Wednesday's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports podcast, and then Friday we will do full reaction to round one. It's a really fun event. I don't cover it 365 days a year, but like everything else, I have plenty of opinions. Cannot wait to see the show and cannot wait until Friday's show to break down the first round. With that said, I do think it's time for your boy to get out of here. That's it. That's all, folks. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure that you're subscribed. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also make sure, rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you're ready for a big show Wednesday. Hope you're ready for a big show Friday. That is all for today's episode. You know what time it is. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. I'll be back later this week. I hope everybody has a great Monday party, people.